0: Dear Christian friends, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for leading us to this parable today. Show us through the evil tenants how wrong people can be and show us that God will take action against those evil tenants in his vineyard. Remind us that often in scripture, God's vineyard is Israel. Amen. It's interesting to me that the people who select the readings that we take and we use, uh, that we preach from, have never been to an American election. They lived hundreds of years ago in Europe. And the idea of representative government wasn't even a dream yet. And yet, here we are. So I'm going to strongly suggest that it is God's hand placed on this set of readings about a month before our national election. Here we are in the midst of one of the most important elections of our nation's history, a nation more divided than it has been for a couple of hundred years, at least since the Civil War. We're a nation that is deeply divided. Help us to see that division through this parable. Help us to exchange ideas and morality, and understand the exchange of ideas and morality that is in occurring in the nation around us. We're watching Jesus here, and just before the parable is actually told. He comes into Jerusalem through the fanfare of the triumphant entry of people waving palm branches and throwing their cloaks on the roads in front of his donkey and riding in on a donkey in the same manner that David brought his son to coronate him. So Jesus comes in in this triumphant way and the fanfare and then the plot really begins to thicken because he goes to the temple and he wreaks havoc among the money changers and sellers of animals now let's think briefly about this shopping center that's in the middle of the temple court I don't mean to make light of it there was considerable land Uh, I think one time I figured out to be in excess of 10 acres that was devoted to a park around the temple. Considerable land, more than enough for a Walmart. We're in these temple courts, plenty of room for a marketplace. Secondly, we think about people coming to the temple to worship. They come to worship and pray and make their contributions at the temple. Many of them came considerable distances because the Jews or Jews lived all over the Roman Empire some of them may have come from as far away as Rome itself or Italy to make contributions to uh, pray at the temple now let's think about something else about Roman money one of the ways that the Romans were able to run their empire is that they standardized money throughout the empire you could put whoever's face on the coin you wanted, local leader, local hero, something like that. You could make the coin in a shape, your choice. It could be round or octagonal or a little cube. You just had to have the right amount of gold in it to standardize it for the Romans. So it was real easy to tell the value of one coin from another, even though they looked very different this is important here at the temple you get to just to distribution or get to jerusalem and you want to make your contribution to the temple you have to exchange your money for what we might call politically correct jewish money or local currency and history tells us that the markup to trade your faraway coins to jewish coins was quite large quite large the value of the coins was standardized by the Romans but adjusted by the local money changers similarly if you came to make a sacrifice you might have brought an animal with you Now. You may have been coming a substantial distance. You might even have been riding in a boat across the Mediterranean Sea to get to Jerusalem. Pretty difficult to bring an animal with you. But that's okay because when you got to the temple, you could purchase an animal that you could sacrifice. The only problem was, again, the huge markup. Unfortunately, some people tried to take advantage of an overpriced the sacrificial animals. Now, the way that they overpriced in exchange value of the money and overpriced the animals, Jesus saw this as robbery. He turned over the table to the money changers. He chased the animals with a whip he made out of rope that were being held in pens and things like that. In other words, Jesus disrupted the Bazaar of the Sons of Annas. I know that's a new phrase in there, but Annas was the high priest, and this place was called the Bazaar, or if you want in our English, shopping center of the Sons of Annas. Now, Jesus is disturbing something that also has a long history. It's been acceptable for a long time the Jewish leaders for the Jews to have this marketplace the Romans accepted it the Jewish leaders accepted it and so on so immediately Jesus has disturbed this marketplace chased these animals with his rope with his rope whip tipped over the money tables can you imagine the mess that would be immediately they want to know who gave him the authority to disturb this customary enterprise of selling animals and exchanging money in the temple court. In response to that, Jesus tells a parable. In response to that question, he's going to tell a parable. It's the parable about the beautiful vineyard, the farmer who rented it to wicked sharecroppers. The sharecroppers had an arrangement with the owners, they always do, That's how you work, sharecropping. They were supposed to give him a portion of the fruit, or in the case of a vineyard, perhaps of the wine, as payment, but when the time comes to make payment, this group refuses to pay. In fact, they injured some of his representatives. They even kill his son while refusing to pay now I'm going to ask you to please pray again with me I think we need it here Lord Jesus do not cast your fruitless servants away instead attend our hearts with patience send us your Holy Spirit to nurture us so that we may produce the fruits of repentance and faith amen now the parable also builds on a reading from Isaiah 5 uh, verses one to seven, you, uh, you heard that read here as, a, as our Old Testament reading. It's uh, really almost, a, it's a very strong parallel to this parable, our Old Testament reading for today. Israel is often spoken of as God's vineyard as it is in Isaiah five. God warns the people of Isaiah five, of Isaiah's time to take care, produce good fruit he warns them. They continue to follow the Baals and the other false pagan gods. And finally God ran out of patience with them and he destroyed them. Carried out his punishment through the Assyrian Empire. We need to ask, could God use an election in our republic to destroy it? God can do whatever he wants, so certainly he can use an election If he chooses to. The Assyrians destroyed the Northern Kingdom, carried the survivors off, away into captivity, and they never returned. We need to answer the question though, does God have infinite patience with sinners or is there a limit to his patience? It is possible for God to simply let us vote immoral people into office and let our republic be destroyed from within. First let's explore the parable a little bit more. It's important when you try to understand one of Jesus' parables to understand who each character in the parable represents. The landowner, of course, is God the Father. God put a wall around his vineyard. The vineyard is Israel. God led the children of Israel into the promised land to separate them from other nations he ordered them to destroy or remove all the Canaanites from the land the Jews never carried out those orders but the ceremonial law and dietary restrictions kept them separate from the Canaanites God wanted them to be separate from other nations so that everyone would see how he kept his promise to Abraham a promise recorded in Genesis 22 where he says surely I will bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore, and so on. God did not stop with just a wall around the vineyard. He also constructed a watchtower or a place for guards to keep watch over the ripening grapes. God called the prophets of the Old Testament, especially, the watchmen for the house of Israel. The tenants who rented the vineyard represent the leaders of the Jews. The servants who come to collect the share of the prophet are the Old Testament prophets. And I'm sorry if there's a confusion of words there, come from two different languages. These prophets are despised, they're stoned, they're killed by the Jewish leaders at different times in history. Landover's son is obviously Jesus the Messiah whom the Father loved. God spoke of wor- words of love to Jesus at his baptism and again on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus now predicts his own death, again on the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, uh, his death on Mount Sinai. The owner's son now says that the tenants threw the owner's son out of the vineyard and murdered him. The Jews tried to pretend that, Jesus, that the murder of Jesus was an execution, but it was, in fact, a murder. And the murder took place outside the walls of, of Jerusalem. And it will take place only three days after Jesus' prediction. Now, going back to the patience of the landowner. Patience of this landowner seems incredible to me. Why would a man whose servants and representatives had been abused and then whose son had been murdered would send some more people to collect his rent. That's hard for me to believe. That had happened to me, I would have sent a SWAT team. But this landowner in the parable, the landowner is God, and he demonstrates God's incredible patience with the human race in his mind. But the owner did not send an army. It's mind boggling to think that God sent his only son to save us. But he did. While Jesus was among us, we know he showed us the Father's mercy and love. He proved his messiahship through miracles and healings, but we killed him anyway. In an incredible flurry of greed and self ambition, These tenants imagine that they can inherit the vineyard while the owner is still alive. This reminds me of Adam and Eve in the garden. They think that by eating the fruit, they can be like God. Meaning they can take over and run the world according to their rules. They might even be able to replace God. Now that sounds really familiar, doesn't it? But what about us? Do we think we can occupy God's vineyard and harvest the fruit and God and, and just use God's word when we want to? Do we show up on Sunday morning to hear God's word and fail to grow? Do we come Sunday after Sunday to make meaningless confession of generic sin? and receive absolution so we can feel good? Are we lazy and immature in our faith? Do we remind Christians who only know a few Bible stories because it's too much work to really study? Is God giving us warning signs and are we watching? Are we hearing? Last week we had as our speaker, our guest, Dr. Greg Seltz, He is our Synod's representative in Washington, DC. Dr. Seltz warned us to fight for religious liberty without politicizing the gospel. He called us to a proper distinction of church and state. God's vineyard is full of ripe fruit. God wants to use us to harvest that fruit. He wants us to transform the lives of those whom he loves. He has transformed your life and mine. He has transformed the lives of many other Christians. He transforms us and calls us into mission. The law in this text reminds us of the danger of abusing or ignoring God's grace. The message of the gospel brings hope and comfort. God no longer restricts his vineyard to Israel. The vineyard is the whole world the work that he calls us to is to carry the means of grace and the gospel to all people. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus and life everlasting. Amen.